Hello and welcome to Bluebells Forever, a podcast with interviews of Bluebell dancers past and present. Join Sherry Lewis, a Bluebell herself, as she leads us on a journey through story and experience. And now here's Sherry. So I finally get Ivor Jones today. And there's a lot of our, that I set up with people, then things, life just happens. We reschedule. And I know you've been traveling and busy. So it's so funny because I'm here in my summer getting ready for a beautiful day outside and you come online and you've got a scarf and you were saying it's freezing in South Africa and, and you just got snow. Yeah, but snowed for the first time this morning. I was in a Pilates class and everybody was running to the window to have a look at the snow because oh it's very God. unusual for us to have snow. Yeah. Yeah. Did you grow up there in, in South Africa? I grew up. Cape Town. Cape Town is my hometown. I now, now live in Johannesburg. Um, yeah, I grew up in Cape Town. I went to the ballet school at the university there when I was very young. <laughs> and um, I knew I could never. I love ballet is my favorite thing. It's my big love. But I, I'm, I'm too tall to be a ballet dancer. You know, I'm six foot five. Oh, and, wow. Uh, because that's a lot of the girls, like they said, they loved ballet, but they were told kind of early on, I think, especially the higher level, like if you're RAD, they start weeding out the tall ones sooner, where I think a lot of the other studios, if you're tall, no one discourages you. But if they want, if you're going professional, it seems like people were told very early on, they're just not going to be a ballerina. And like, how heartbreaking, because you can't control your growth. You can't slow you can't down. And, like, and so there goes your dreams. The ballet man, the ballet company, he always said to me, you belong on the cabaret floor. And years later, I said, I made it on the cabaret floor. <laughs> Did he say that as an insult or an encouragement? Very sarcastic. Very sarcastic. <sighs> yeah, that's what I said. You should be a bluebell. People are like, what's a bluebell? So then, yeah, like, where do these tall dancers go? What kind of kid were you? What were you like growing Sorry. up before? What kind of kid were you? Like, what were you like as a child? Like, what, what yeah, did you like doing? Very, um, I was this, uh, my sister's the eldest, and then, my, then, uh, then me. I was, we were dance mad, you know? It was the period of, you know, we always used to go. The bands used to play on a Saturday night. And my sister and I used to practice the latest routines. You know, we used to do all the get up to date with the music. And um, we drove my parents crazy. Because <laughs> <laughs> we were always, <laughs> always going out to the clubs. Always, always. But we had to be home by 11.30. That was the curfew time. <laughs> so I always danced. I always loved it, loved it, loved it, loved it. And um, then I had to do military service because we had to do compulsory military service in those days in South Africa. And while I was doing my military service, I saw the little adverts in the paper. Um, there was a amateur company doing a musical called The Bell of New York. So I thought, okay, I'm going to go. It was just down the road. And I got into it and I started, and that's the first show I ever did was the, the Bell of New York. And after that, our military finished and um, I was supposed to become a school teacher. That's what my father had decided, that I would be a school teacher, mm. a primary school teacher. So it's not high school, it's not the small kids, it's the, you know, the 15 year, no, they probably between... Nine and twelve, I think those. Oh, kids. the hard. Those are the hard years. <laughs> anyway, I didn't do that because then I decided I'm going to dance, and you know, I was not my father's favorite person when I said that. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, 
Yeah, and then I started to dance and I did a lot of local shows. And then I ended up in 1976, I ended up in London. I was, um, the title was dance director, but it was a very grand title for a job. It was more company manager than dance director for an African show called Ipitombi. Ipitombi means where the girls are. And I ended up in London with that show. And those were in the height of the apartheid years. So I was the only white person on the show. So my position was being advertised in the stage, which is the local, they advertised my position every Friday. So it was a very insecure, like to work like that. And um, there were quite a few South Africans at the Lido in Paris, also in La Scala in Barcelona at that stage. And I never forget, it was the year that Chorus Line opened in London. Mm -hmm. And Philip Harding, he was a boy from South Africa. He was at the Lido and he was waiting for his papers to go to the MGM in Vegas. So he said, what are you doing sitting in London and blah, blah, blah. I'm going to phone Bluebell. And I'm going to go, are you going to go and audition for her? I said, are you mad? <laughs> and anyway, just we, and I took the ferry across from London to Paris, and I auditioned in the old Lido. In the old Lido, and Michael Ingleton was there. You know, he was the dance captain for the. He was Bluebell's assistant, basically. And I auditioned, and she said, um, <clears throat> "When are you free?" So I said, "Well, I've got a job in London. I've got to go back and at least." terminate and she said well i've got a position opening at the new lido and starting in january rehearsals in january 7 7 1976 1977 yeah we started rehearsals so i said that's perfect went back to london then i just decided okay quit the job went skiing in <laughs> not maybe skiing in my life went skiing in in <laughs> In Switzerland, you know, because now I've, I had like three months to play with, you know. Anyway, then I went to Paris and I spent, I lived in Paris for 13 years. Oh, my gosh. Okay, I remember like, because I worked in Reno and hello, Hollywood, hello. We talked about Gillian Rishoi, who's from South yes. Africa, our company manager. But it, I don't know if it was in her contract, but we, it was understood we don't ski because Reno is close to Lake Tahoe, which is great skiing. So it was understood once you sign that contract, you don't ski because they don't want to replace you with your broken leg. <laughs> so oh, you got you, I was gonna I was waiting for you to say something happened, but you you skied successfully. Nothing happened. Nothing happened. I, nothing happened. I had a lovely time. I'd never seen snow. I was never, you know, with mountains of snow. We were in a little town called Grindelwald in the Alps. Oh, it was marvelous. And it was like November time, and it was just wonderful. Anyway, then I went to Paris, started the Lido, and then I got mumps in rehearsals. Oh, no. I haven't heard of him making yes. mumps for years. Okay, that goes mumps. back to the 70s. <laughs> in, in rehearsals. So, and I thought, oh, Don Arden's going to kill me, you know, mumps. Anyway, <laughs> and um, uh, probably I was awful. You know, it's funny when you're lying in a little, in a hotel in Paris, and you're feeling like anybody's, you know, all the kids are in the same hotel. We're all in the same hotel in Pigal. And then you're the only one and you keep on worrying about, you know, how am I ever going to catch up with the work and all of this stuff. Yeah. It's quite stressful. So eventually I went back and Don Arden just said, Ivan, 
And we were doing the hat and cane number, and I dropped the cane. He said, it's good to see you back. And I thought, oh, my God. Oh, you. gosh. <laughs> yeah. I've heard of people having mono in rehearsals. Um, somebody had their uh, appendix rupture because, like, no, no, I just got in this show. It's just so scary because you they, they could just replace you. So I have a question because this, was this a big deal that they moved to the new Lido? Because you were... You auditioned at the yeah, old one, the and then you were deal. with that first cast at the new one. What was that like? Because they're building it. Did you, were you guys seeing the new well, Lido come hectic. to life? It was hectic because we were rehearsing at night because they were building in the day. So we used to sometimes, I mean, we used to go in at like 8 o'clock or 6 o'clock. I can't remember. And I know remember them serving us dinner at night. They served us dinner. And then we used to get home like, sometimes two, three o'clock in the morning from rehearsals. So, yeah, because they were building the new leader in the day and we were rehearsing at night. How far away is it? Because carry on for a long time. Sorry. Oh, because do you know Kate Mayo or Miriam? They both were at the Lido. I worked with them in Reno. But when we were there at the reunion in Paris in 2019, we walked down a few. It's not that far away. Isn't it just a few blocks away? No, it's just a few blocks away. Yes, yes, just a few blocks away. But not on and the Champs Elysees. That was the also the change of being on the Champs Elysees with the new Lido. Yeah, that was a huge thing because the old Lido had become too small to accommodate all the people. So then they moved up the road, and the old Lido then became a nightclub. Oh. And we actually, when I when we did the Shirley MacLaine special, uh, you know, I don't know if anybody has spoken about that. Oh yeah, yeah. We did the Shirley MacLaine special, and we rehearsed at the old Lido. Really? So they kept it as a dance club, but still, did it look the same? Yeah, but no, it was like, it was lovely. You go down that old little tiny staircase oh. and then you're into this huge space. It was lovely rehearsing there because it was so memorable for me because I did my audition there, you know? Yeah. So it was wow. so strange to go back. And then they opened, uh, they opened, the Clericos opened it as a club called Swiss on Dizuit. And they brought the Ron Lewis, one of Ron Lewis's um, shows. That oh, ran really? For oh, a wow. Yeah. Um, wow. It was actually a South African girl that was the lead called Delia, Delia Shepherd. And it was the same show that Anne MacDonald had done in, I think, Lake Tahoe. Or Lake Reno. Tahoe, yeah. That, I remember seeing that show. Those, I loved anything Ron Lewis. I loved that crowd. Those, those dancers were working so well, hard and it was so really, different from really, anything else <sighs> so then yeah so that was my start in paris at the lido and i was in ali lido for four years and i've got this thing in my mind but we didn't get days off when we started i don't know why if somebody can remind me because we used to save our days up you know we used to save our days and then go to london on the ferry and we used to go, okay, four days, you know, you save your days and then you have four days to go away. I Would everybody have different that, days off or like you couldn't do it as well, a cast? My, my, my day off was a Sunday. Yeah. And I used to see, we used to save our days. So I mean, we just didn't take a day off and the swing used to just go on for four days, you know, when we were off, whoever was Oh, off. really? Wow. Wow. How'd your body what? do with that? That's a lot. That's a no days off. Was it two Ooh. shows a night, too? But I they, think, you know, the rehearsal schedule was hectic when we were rehearsing that show because the building, they were so behind with um, getting the building open and 
you know, the technical stuff, the ice and all that stuff, you know, it was a very big show to do. And um, I remember Don Arden, oh God, we used to go, you'll all of a sudden decide we're going to do a dress, re a, a run through in costume at two o'clock in the morning. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you know, you're just thinking, oh my God, how am I going to do this, you know? And you just get through it. But, you know, you you know, we're young. We're all young. Oh, yeah. Oh, the things we could do, like no sleep. And because they no had the put-in rehearsals, a lot of the shows, like you would do two shows and then they would have a put-in rehearsal after the show since all the stairs were out. And so besides doing two shows, you're kind of doing a third show at three or four in the morning. And now that sounds insane. But when you're in those shows, you're like, oh, yeah, okay. that We'll just sleep in February or whatever. We'll, we'll eventually sleep. No, we just do it. I don't know how we did it. And also then um, Michael Ingleton then left the Lido because then he went and he was choreographing a lot of fashion shows. And he used to ask me to help him because there were too many shows on at the same time. So I would now look after two shows for him. And so we were going from the Lido. We used to get home at half past three, sleep for an hour. And then we had to be at the fashion show for at eight o'clock. Oh, my gosh. And all what the leader, most of the Lido girls were doing those shows. Really? So everybody's tired. Everybody's worn out. Was then also, and what was the opening like? Did they do a lot of press? And like, what was that opening night to be in that new theater, new show? It's your, is this your first show huge. in this style? Was what was it like? It what was, was it like huge. for you and the cast? I've got a lot of, I'm going to send you the, some photographs of the opening night party. I've got a lot of the opening night party photographs. But there were a lot of celebrities there. Um, I think Gene Kelly was in the audience because there's a photograph with the Bluebell Girls with Gene Kelly. I've seen that one, yes. And Tell I think that was from the opening, I think, of the leader. I can't remember. But you know, when you rehearse the show from the beginning, you are so close, the company, because we were all from all over the world. There were people that were people from Australia. There was some, there were two South Africans in the show at the beginning. And um, there were the French kids, some French girls as well, and boys. And we would just became like a very close family. And we never spoke a word of French. Isn't that crazy? You're in a French cabaret in Paris speaking English. I do want to read you this thing because I, everybody kept telling me I needed to interview you. Yes. Um, where do you show? So this is Karina's. This is in the book that's coming out. Um, when I had a moment to myself, I rang my mom and dad and they asked, how is it? I had been crying my eyes out because it was culture shock, a different country, not speaking the language, nothing in the apartment. And I said, it's really nice here. I wasn't going to tell them how I was really feeling. And then Ivor Jones came down to our room because he lived in the same building. He was a dance captain of the boys at the time, a gorgeous, tall South African. He said with this beaming smile, hi, my name is Ivor. If there's anything you need, I'm upstairs. Just come up. He was very, very kind. And so I just think of like, being, uh, you know, like you remember what it's like when you're the new person, because when you've done it for a while, there are those people that remember what it was like to be young and in a new country and trying to figure out how to find an apartment. Who are my friends? What's this going to be? So I love that part of the story because it shows up in other people's stories, too. That there was someone that kind of looked out for them. And then, yeah, it just that bonds that cast and say, like, well, we figured it out. You figure it out. I feel like there's this camaraderie of taking care especially like she was only 16 you know this is 16 like, i can't imagine me at 16 moving to paris and like being a professional and figuring out how to get an apartment and how i'm supposed to 
do everything. So I, I love that part of her story. So that must have uh, meant something to you to, to look out and take take the time to, to well, let I'm someone know at, I'm here. And I saw her at the Lido reunion as well. And she was there. And it was so nice because now she's a mother and, you know, and she yeah. married the aggregator from the, from the Lido show. She married Gunnar, who was in the show with me. Yeah. What a small world that was. Yeah. Think about it now. Yeah, the toddies. And then what happened then? Yeah. Then I went on, the Casino de Paris was going on tour. That was after the Lido. And then I went, there were like four of us from the Lido in that tour. And that lasted like a whole six months, I think. And that was fun. But we were touring in a tent, like a circus tent. So they used to go and they, you know, every time you could, pitch up in the middle of Saint-Tropez or somewhere and there was the Casino de Paris tent and it, and we lived in caravans it was like really? gypsy lifestyle oh my god was who's a producer was it was who was doing Casino de Paris at that time yeah. who was like the yeah. producer choreographer there was Briac Olivier Briac he was the he was the he was quite a big name in Paris and he he had that tour was that like showgirl kind of show or more not like Ronnie That's Lewis show? Exactly. Yeah, I like a leader show, yeah. Okay. Feather opening, feathers for the finale. There was a Russian number, which I hated. There was a <laughs> um, a South American number. The lady who was the star of the show, she came from the Folie Bouget and she was Spanish. What was her name? I can't remember. She was a Spanish, like what they call a vedette. And she yes. was the star of that show, of the, of the tour. Um, what was her name? She was quite crazy, but she was a lot of fun. <laughs> and they were very, the girls were very young in that show. Oh, those girls were also like 16, you know? That's so hard to, that's such a different life too. You know, most 16 year olds are going to maybe parties or their prom or figuring out the schools, you know, maybe taking ballet, but to be 16 and living with adults. So you guys were caravanning. Was that city to city or you were traveling and just pitch? We were traveling. You were traveling. They pitch your tent. Yeah. Oh my gosh. We were traveling. We were carrying, you know, you'd spend like a week. It was the whole, it was fabulous because we did the whole South of France. Oh, The wow. tour was the whole South of France. And we ended up in, in Saint-Tropez at the end. It was wonderful. Oh my gosh. And to that be young, could you... Had you traveled before you went to London? Like part of the reason I love doing these shows is I got to travel in ways I could never have afforded. Like I'm going to go live in Bermuda and they're going to pay for my housing and I'm going to get paid to dance. And it was just like a dream come true as a young person to get to dance. But was travel a part of the appeal of getting to do these shows? And I didn't think it all was. I was just so excited, you know, to go to Paris and to the Lido and was 1976 I mean god it was such a you know it was like a liberation time you know yeah (laughs) when you get there and then those I mean I was old I was 24 I think compared to the girls that were all like coming in from London for the new Lido show Susie Hyde all these girls were 16 or 17 we were talking about this in Paris you know we were at the reunion the girls how young they were you know, and how I had, yeah. unbelievable how they wow. how those girls adapted, you know, so quickly. You danced with uh, Herma Vos then too, right? 
Because she talks about being the first one to step out on that new stage and and like yeah. how how wonderful that felt to be in that new that end, Yeah, that end was the, that end was also the principal goal. Was that end? There were four principal goals. Yeah, that end was the one that did Hello Dolly. Herma was the one that opened the show, and then she was replaced. Did you ever interview Belinda? I'm Belinda. trying to get her. She I've been trying for a while. Was she? Because she's, she's been, everybody in Paris and Vegas knows her because she did, you know, both of those ends of Bluebells. Yes, yes. Why did she you did leave both. the, why did you, I mean, you were there a long time. What made you decide to do the um, Casino de Paris? Was it just time to go or is it a different kind of? No, uh, my contract wasn't renewed for the next show. Because, oh, man. Uh, you know, they, four years, most of the kids were coming in for the next show with new kids, you know, new. And I'd done four years, and I also thought it was time. And I yeah. actually thought I wanted to go to the Moulin, and then afterwards I thought, it's just going to be the same lifestyle again. Oh. Working nights yeah, and all of that. And I was in a relationship then, and I, it was difficult because the, um, my friend was, a, you know, he was working during the day, and I'm working at night. It was so, like, a, very difficult to get all of that yeah. together. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Somebody said we live the vampire life. The only time, the only people you meet are other vampires that are up late yeah. at night because people in the day are getting up for work when we were going we to bed. To the show. We used to go out for dinner regularly and we used to catch the first metro home. You know, wow. you catch the first metro home at Hoppers Park and then you sleep until two o'clock or something and then you got to go up and do it all again, you know. Yeah, what was your life like in, in Paris? Did you get to get out and explore much, or was it really just work and sleep and recover? No. And, and, and weekend, those four days off to travel? When I met Claude, my friend, I met him in Paris. My life, because then I became, I, you know, I, he knew a lot of the Lido people. But my life became so different because then I, um, I met a completely different circle of friends. Yeah. You know, your, your yeah. life changed. And then I decided to go and learn French because all I did was it, you know, you pick up French on the street and you think. Then I decided to go. And I, I was studying in the day full time, you know, to go to the French yeah. school Monday to Friday. And you got to write exams and all of this. Oh, and, wow. But I enjoyed it. And then Bluebell and I stayed very good friends because I had a South African passport. And at that stage, it was very difficult to travel with that passport because you needed a visa every time you wanted to go somewhere and you get jobs and you got like a commercial or something and you want to go, Oh no, you can't get a visa. So I went to see Bluebell and she said, I'll, I'll help you get a French passport. She was fantastic. Wow. And I got a French passport. Wow. That, that mm. is not easy. I can't imagine that was like, she must've pulled some strings. She pulled a lot of strings and also it wasn't, um, it was easier than I thought. I thought it was going to be very, very difficult because you've got to pay tax five times. So five years, you've got to pay tax. And then in your sixth year, you can apply for for a residency, you know. Oh. But we had a person at the Lido that only did working papers, Madame Jacqueline. She was there and she did all the working papers. And every six months, you had to get up in the morning, trundle off to meet Jacqueline at 11 o'clock. You know, mm -hmm. 11 o'clock was early if you're getting home at half past three. 
And she used, and Jacqueline knew all those people at the police and all of that. So Bluebell made it very easy. She wrote all the letters for me. And I saw her, we were great. I should see her once a month on a Saturday because she was alone on a Saturday because there was no secretary in that there. And I used to go and visit her and we had a great friendship. I would love to hear more because I auditioned for her in Reno and I didn't understand who she was, the significance of her importance. Um, but then I hear like Karina, people that, that spent time with her. I love the Bluebell stories. I talked Pete Menifee, who did costumes, talks about having pizza with her in a, in a, a car with a driver, Miss Bluebell's in a Chanel suit and they're eating pizza. I just love hearing this story. So what was it like with your friendship? What was she like with you? Or what, what, what was her personality? I mean, that just, you know, I used to call her Miss Hello, Miss How You Miss and all this. this. And um, we lived very close together. I lived nearby the Arctic Triumph there. And we used to, and she used to come on the Metro to work. And I used to sometimes, and we used to meet on the Metro coming into work. Oh. Yeah. She was, I think she had a soft spot for South Africans. I don't know why, because yeah. she, um, she was very open and very, very lovely. And we sometimes she had, you, oh, you should have, you get invited for, for tea in the afternoon. And sometimes you got invited for supper. Oh man. Supper before the show. And also because Michael Ingelson used to see Bluebell every single day. He used to go there and they, I don't know what they talked about, and, you know, get new, getting, employing new dancers and all of this. And Michael and I were very close because we also lived very close together. And um, through Michael also, I think, you know, she would just sit and chat and she used to smoke away. <laughs> so I heard like people like could go just go and hang out and talk to her. I went I went back to Paris twice last year, got a backstage tour, and Jeremy, who is now like, yes. in that position, he he's fabulous. But he showed me Miss Bluebell's bench, and he was like, yes, he got yes. called to her, and I sat in it and I got really emotional. And then like I have a picture of Jeremy sitting there because like I got to see her little office and the bench, and I'm like, and then I could picture what it would be like to be in the show and just be able to just go hang out in this bluebell. But I just, I did have an emotional uh, lot of presence come up of just thinking like, this is Miss Bluebell's bench. This is where people sat. And sometimes you didn't know if you were called to her bench because you did something bad or because it was good. <laughs> it's like, there's a significant yeah, because sometimes you should come around every evening, knock um, no, yeah. good evening boys. You used to go to every dressing room and say good evening, every evening. Every evening. And then as she walked through the dressing room, and then she'll say, I need to see you in the in the break. You're thinking, oh my God, now you've got to do the whole first show. <laughs> <laughs> what did and I do wrong? What, what is wrong and what is wrong? And then you'll, because she was just one one floor above the boys' dressing room. You know, the boys, we were that on that level. Yeah. And then she was once one staircase up. And the poor girls used to get called in for their weights and that you could hear them cry, you know? <laughs> oh, oh. I heard she would kind of sometimes walk by and pinch someone. Oop, you got to lose a little bit of this, you know, because like that, you can't hide a couple, you know, your holiday pounds when you're wearing a G-string. But she would just kind of like matter-of-factly like, okay, you got we didn't have weigh-ins in those days. I know like at the, at the Alley Lido in Vegas. No, it was when, it, yeah, that was when uh, Rose, Frank Rosenthal, he brought in a meat scale that they put cattle on to weigh the girls i'm like this is so humiliating so we know it's part of the job but if i don't know how miss blue but at least she pulls you separately into the office to tell you 
You know what? I mean, that's just the name of the game, you know. Can you imagine a lineup of girls that are not attractive, you know? What do you do? Right. Yeah. It makes sense. There's a people and I stayed friends until I came, left Paris to come back to South Africa because then I went to Sun City. Sun City I was going to ask a- you, that the, your, your own country, did you ever perform there? Because so many other people. I never performed here. there. You I never performed there. I retired from dancing at 36 years old. Did you ever see the shows there? Did you have any oh, desire, yes. like, to like that's what you'd oh, like to do? No, they they asked me. You know, what I said. Well, long story. What happened was when they when they were building Sun City, I knew the man that was directing the shows, and he called me one day and he said, "We cannot get girls to work topless here. You know, we're struggling. Do you think you could set up an audition for us in Paris?" And I said, "Yes, we'll do it." God, they they got a lot of kids, and then suddenly all the all the kids from the, all the dancers from the Lido would come to Sun City. Yeah, so it was like the same circle of dancers. All the Americans came. Yeah, that's like um, like there's some Michael Shepard. There's quite a few. They started out Michael like they auditioned. They, yeah, and they talked about how much they loved that, but how they were there at apartheid too, and being black and being there in apartheid, how tricky that was, and how it, sometimes they didn't feel safe. So you grew up in that environment, and is it has it changed much? Is there like in it's a theater? Oh, okay. Uh, since 1994, it's like, but it, you know what? At Sun City, there was never apartheid because it was if you were a black dancer, whatever dancer, you got paid the same salary at the same accommodation. Okay. It was just it was like living in a in a in a little like living in like Lake Tahoe, like that small environment. You know, what right. I'm so separate from the rest of it. Mm. So I was at Sun City for 18 years, yeah. And then, then I, when I retired, yeah. Retired did officially, read- I'm still working. Mm. Are you okay? Well, what did you was your body just done with performing or just that lifestyle take take its toll on you? you? Know, I think at 36, in those days, you know, like it's a good long days, run. They wouldn't keep I me mean, at the Lido. I knew they kept the girls until 32 in our days. They wouldn't keep them for older than that. Now they can't get, you know, at the Moulin Rouge, you can't fire dancers. Yeah. You know, that was Jubilee in Vegas. There were uh, Liz Elliott, who I worked with. She was amazing. She made it, she danced till 40 and still looked amazing. But she said, when you're in your dressing room and they bring in an 18 year old, you start to feel your age. When, you know, remember when you're Always the young you one and then it's like, wait, when did I become the old one? I was, it was just the young one. <laughs> now you're at the other end going, watching these young, naive kids come in. I always like, say oh. you can see the tone of the skin. Yeah, the that's true. And then you see, you know, the skin. Yeah, and then I came back and then I was at Sun City. I was started off as company manager. I ended up as dance director for them. And um, then I, re- I retired officially when I was 62 years old. Then I said, I'm not going to do anything, but I haven't stopped working. <laughs> what are you doing? Um, well, COVID opened the whole. Well, <clears throat> I, I, I do. A, I did a lot of corporate work, always directing corporates and that. Even at, oh, at Sunset. Really? Yeah. Okay. And um, I did a lot of the beauty pageants. I did um, four Miss World pageants. They they hosted oh. Miss World for two years at Sun City. And then I got those people employed me to go to China to do another pageant there. So that's always been on like 
And slowly the work just doesn't stop. I sometimes think, when am I ever going to retire? Right. Not when they keep wanting you. Uh, it's interesting. Want- anyway, in COVID, it was so funny. I've never, I've never been, I've never done children's shows. I've got a friend of mine, and she's a set designer, and she said, Would you be interested to do Peter Rabbit for the National Children's Theatre? And I said, oh. No, I said, no, I'm not going to work with children. I'm not going to imagine me with the children. I've got no patience. And she <laughs> said, no, they're adults. The actors are adults, young adults. And they're performing for children. They're not children. They're performing for. And then I did just did Winnie the Pooh in January. And that ran until after Easter. Oh, and that, of course, we ended up having kids, children in them. The yeah. bees. The bees in the show with kids. But then you've got to have three casts of kids because the kids aren't allowed to do, they're not allowed to work every day. Yeah, and yeah. Two shows, the one group does the first show and the second. It's, it's crazy anyway. <laughs> well, I'm going to ask you, it. I think that's so good. And I'm talking to people my age and how when I think I'm done, I feel like I'm more creative than I was in my 20s. Like maybe it's a maturity and experience definitely, of life, but I'm like, well, I can't not do this. But you know, like when you think when old people, we're supposed to just so go sit in our rocking chair or do a lot of road trips and eat in diners, which is all fine. But I go, I feel more, just, I have way more ideas. So I guess even if I don't get paid, I'm talking to so many people our age that are just like, no, I feel I've still got a lot to contribute to the world. And it makes me feel satisfied. And that, that creative yeah. thing doesn't, it doesn't go away. Just because you get older doesn't mean like you no more you have no more ideas or creative input. So I love hearing people that are like yeah, that, to work I, with I children. Think it, um, I sometimes think it's am, am, I, am I not becoming is it not embarrassing? You know, so I'm, you, know <laughs> I'm a, you know because when we were young we used to say what we you know it, oh God that person's so old we used to, you know, right that thirty year old was now, old we are the old you know. Well, one of the things I've heard from the younger dancers that listen to this and what, and they said it a lot about the reunion is they loved hearing our stories because when you're young, you don't think about what's coming next, you know? And so they were listening like, Oh, this person opened a dance studio or they did Pilates or they're doing corporate work. So they really liked hearing like what happens after your dance career, because you just really don't take the time for most of us. We're just living in it. Well, then they, ha- they dealt with COVID shutting down the Lido. So a lot of them started doing these extra trainings and I should get, learn this or like how you learn French. Like I have time to do it. And then when the Lido closed, a lot of them were in a little bit better spot than if they had lived. Like I just went show to show until I finally went, I think I'm going to go back home. But I, you know, we always talk about when do you know you're done? Because unless, you know, like I'm going until they pull me off with a hook or you just gracefully go out because your body's saying no more, or sometimes people are starting a family, but it's, it's a it's an interesting and very individual thing of when we decide the stage that was a wonderful time and now it's time for something else. But when I, I don't know when, like a lot of people say, okay, this is my end of my career. I'm not going to do anything else to me. I could I don't know. I cannot I cannot imagine not being involved in show business. It's just in my blood. Yeah, 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 yeah. Love doing. That's yeah, and, and that's I like you've it. got the wisdom, you've got all these years of experience. You just go on, and I mean, sometimes I'm thinking, oh Mark Evans, why do you know they still? But they they employ a person because you've got the experience. I think right, or, right. Uh, well, you see what happened, a- like with Jubilee, like they bring in someone who had a name but no experience that basically 
kind of ruined the end of Jubilee because there's people that like people terrible, know the history. It was terrible. And there was something if you don't honor these people that know the history, they could move it into something a little more future facing, but you don't have to throw out everything and then have some new person that comes in without any idea of the history and how things work and why things work. And so it's like sometimes that mistake to get rid of the older people because they don't think they're relevant. You throw out all those years of wisdom and work figuring out how things work because sometimes they don't. So I kind of want to go back to your days, like at the Lido, especially because there's always great stories of things that go wrong because I got to do the backstage tour and looking down, like where they load the fountain. Oh, and this is where the ice rink slid. And I'm like, if the audience had any idea of what goes on under the stage in the dressing room, costume mishaps, did you, in the years you were there, you must have had some things that didn't go right. Well, one night was so scary, and I'm sure. Um, in the Greek, it was we, had, we did a Greek tableau, but we didn't do it in the second show. I don't know why. The second show was shorter than the first one. Mm. Greek tableau was the second tableau in the show. <coughs> the stage used to come up with the girls on it, with the show girls on it. All of a sudden, that whole stage started to tilt. Oh. The audience were pulling the girls out. Oh my God. <laughs> it was so scary. The stage tilted. Was it the you know elevator part was not upright? You know, the, the elevator that comes up from the ground? Yeah. That platform, it started to tilt. So I don't know oh my God. Going. And the showgirls were on that stage and there were people were pulling them out, screaming and everything else. They just stopped the show. And it was just, you know, we were. You think back on it now, but we didn't know what to do. We were all like so scared and nervous because you saw your friends going down the thought, if they're gonna go fall down this hole, you know. Right. Oh, it was terrible. That was there's there's so many of those stories. Like people we had a rain trap and somebody fell in, and people are basically traumatized. And then the next night you go do the show again and it's like nothing happened. It's it's kind of bizarre, like to think of living through that, and then the next night you put your costume on, you go back out and do it again. I remember by my I was the first boy on there, but you know, there were six boys, and then there were 12, I don't know how many boys we were. I was the first one on on that on this on stage left. And all of a sudden the show didn't start. And there was a they there was a man that had died in the audience. And they pulled the body backstage, and I'll never forget it was like dancing on somebody's grave. Oh my gosh. Wow. And the that show was, just went yeah. on and they just like, they just, the just show must they have... removed that. They just, there was this man died, a man had a heart attack and he, they brought him backstage and he was lying there exactly where we had to go on. And the paramedics were there and everything and they just removed him. And then Bluebell came backstage afterwards and said he was um, a diplomat from some embassy that had died. Oh my God. Did people in the audience know that something had happened? They There's... didn't know. They didn't know. Oh my gosh. Wow. Because I think now, like, we have grief processing, like, when things happen, there's people like, hey, let's process what happened. For ours, like, well, tonight's a new show. Last night was a dead person, but tonight is a brand new show. Yeah, it's very you interesting. Go, what did you, you just do? <laughs> yeah. But you know what was so scary? When they put in new people into the show, I always felt so sorry for those dancers because they rehearsed and rehearsed and then tonight okay you know they can't remember people's names you know you know when you're rehearsing and there's and you're going into the show yeah and it's just follow me follow me 
Like poor girls, I used to feel so sorry for them because it's like a big whirlwind, you know. Okay, well, I'm, I, I'm your partner in the waltz, you know, just find follow me. Follow <laughs> me. Because I I went as a replacement and I love, I mean, you are, you're just kind of throwing, you have one foot in and then every, you're glad that everybody else knows. But I love the stories when a whole cast comes in together because you've already bonded through all those hours of rehearsals, yes, going yes. through the Don Arden ups and downs. So you, you've got this bond. So to be a new person, to just go, yeah, follow me. There's my person that looks the same as the other person in that same costume. <laughs> and it is, it's interesting to hear both perspectives because you you go into that show really ready to open because of all the long rehearsals. And then a new person comes in and they're just like, here's your mark, here's your costume. Here's your mark and just go there. And of course <laughs> just you go. rehearse and you never see, only that night you see the girl actually in makeup. Yeah. You know, you have a run through and you, you know, they, they in rehearsal gear. Then suddenly that night they make up and you're thinking, okay, where's, oh no, it's her. <laughs> <laughs> well, then I've heard like sometimes they go in because there's always swings. The person that you thought was in, so you may go in and not even have a partner that you had in her because there's a swing. There's just there's all the things I think made us, it made us smarter. We had to think on the spot. You had to adjust. It's just when you, you know, other people do whatever they do for training for job, but ours was like, I, good luck. I hope you make it. Don't fall off the stage. Don't fall down the hole. I hope you find your way. <laughs> Follow yeah, that person who's not. It, it's, yeah. But I think it is to be that age and just ready to go for it. I think it made us all more adaptable in other things after that we did. I think we matured very quickly. Yeah. Did you your family to, come to see the show? Because I think yes. it's interesting when parents come to see their child. Okay living okay. in Paris, doing this show and meeting their friends and seeing, what, what did they think of it? Well, my sister and her husband arrived and they lived in France for um, four years. And I used to have to babysit for them. Because <laughs> their <laughs> little two kids were small and they used to run around and go and see all the other shows. And um, yeah, my, fa my family came to see the Lido show and they, were, they didn't say anything about the topless because I didn't say to them, I didn't say the girls were topless in the show. Yeah. But they, they didn't say anything about it afterwards. I have a couple of the new girls that say when they have friends come in that they think might be shocked. If they don't tell them, they usually take halfway through the show to realize that they're topless. Like they don't, they're so in the spectacle. But if you say there's topless, they're like, oh no. And they start looking for it. Or if you don't tell them, they experience the show in its full beauty. I think it's interesting because I, I was very conservative Christian. And so when I remember when friends would come and like, oh, my dad's going to see me topless. Yes. And then I think when I, it was, it's a weird, it's a weird thing to have your parents come see the show. And then they loved it. But what they thought it was, if, you know, when they thought they heard I was doing topless, they thought I was a stripper. They'd never seen a show. So when they see the show and they go, oh, okay, there's, there, yeah, I guess we weren't really only looking at breasts. So, and the boy, and we had, the boys had G strings in our shows. Did you guys do yes. that? I don't, Okay, the boys did. We had a G string number, yeah. Mm. Did that? Did that? Your family have an number. issue with that, or did you no, have an they, issue with they that? Didn't say anything. I just think they saw this huge spectacle and they were so blown away. You know, like sometimes the things that we think are. I remember the girls, the Lido girls, when their parents came, they were all nervous. You know, because yeah. boys were fun. The girls, you know, because they were like some of the costumes are very skimpy, you yeah. know, and small. And then the parents come and the parents never say, all oh, loved it, you know? Yeah. The parents was very proud that, you know, because if you're proud, you're, you're dancing in a big show like that. And I think they're very proud of it, you know? You see the caliber. 
I talked to Billy Goodson, who was a choreographer at the yes. Moulin Rouge, and he said that the boys never were in G-strings, and, I, and he didn't think they ever would. And I just, I think it, it feels like it equalizes a little bit if the girls are topless when the boys have a few numbers where they have the G-string. It just makes the leg line look beautiful. But it is interesting if it, I don't think it's a prudish thing why the Moulin Rouge doesn't do it. But I don't know if you ever noticed that, that the Lido boys and never the Moulin boys. Oh, uh, the Moulin boys don't, don't wear G-string? Okay. I never saw, I never, I've seen that show so many times. I know. And I was that like, did they see butt cheeks or not? I don't know. I don't know. I can't did remember you, there being. Yeah. I was like, maybe it didn't matter. Did you hang out with any of the Moulin dancers? Because I feel like certain generations, yeah. they hung out more and the dancers find each other and do things together. Yeah. We knew, we also, we always knew which dancers were. Because we had the dancers at the Paradis Latin in that stage, and we used to, they used to come and see the Lido show on their night off, and yeah. we, used to go, you know, and we always, we always, you know, you knew not not the French kids, we always the foreign kids, we always knew, you know, who was yeah. who, and a lot of the Lido dancers would go to to join the Moulin afterwards. There was a lot of people yeah. that had been at the Lido that went to the Moulin, and vice versa in those days. Oh, I love it was that, the you know. Yeah. Well, when I was there in July, one of the dance, Hillary, who was in the current cast, she got me comps to go with her to go to um, Crazy Girls. And then somebody else, because they just like, they, you just say, I'm in a show. And so you could get comps. I don't know if they did comps back then, but it was like also show support to the fellow dancers, which is really great. It's not, doesn't have that competition feel. I feel like Reno, we didn't have much in Reno, but we would go to Tahoe. And that's where the Ron Lewis shows were. Yes, and so yes. it was so fun in your day off to go see another show, which for some people might see crazy. You dance all the time, but like, no, I want to go see other shows and support other dancers and see what else is out there. It kind of kept, it helped me feel more invigorated and excited about what I did just to see yes. that there's other things that are similar and there's way more work opportunities that, mm. that you can find. I was in Vegas in November last year. I was work, I did a job, a corporate function in Las Vegas. Really? Oh wow. It was so sad to go back and see what Vegas has become. Yeah. I did I, there was no show. I, I saw a new show called Awakening, which was at yeah. the Morocco they, Hotel. Yeah, I think they just redid it and reopened it or something. It's really what do you what do you, you think of it? It had no heart. Yeah. It is huge and the visuals are incredible, you know, but you walk out, you're thinking, okay, well, <clears throat> but it was so sad that there, were, there was not a single glamorous show on the whole strip. It was all Cirque, you know, it was all the Cirque shows, which I've, I've seen through the years and they've just right. become also just like, you know, you speciality acts and that sort of thing. Yeah, you can kind of switch one in for the other. Yeah. That's when I went down there and I don't know if they actually just put up the showgirl marquees, like a celebration of the showgirl. I guess there are these huge statues, but it feels weird because there's no real showgirl. So like they there's have no the icon, but they, and then you see those girls that are taking their pictures with their kind of showgirl costumes on with their, with their booty shorts and their sneakers. Yes. And they're yes. saying they're showgirls and like, no, 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 no. And you know, like they felt like some of us want to preserve that and maybe, you know, like having like the you have you ever been to UNLV? The Sue Kim has a whole like she has Miss Bluebell's scrapbooks and Don Arden scrapbooks, and you can go in and just look through all that stuff. Where is and that? So she, in, 
it's in Las Vegas at the University of Las Vegas. And so oh, she has, it? so a lot of people have done, like Pete Menifee has donated a lot of his sketches there. And uh, Karen Fetter has um, an exhibit at the Nevada State Museum. So I went and saw some costumes there from the shows. And then Grant Filippo has a showgirl museum, which he's got a bunch of yes, stuff. Yes, he's got the museum. And, I, and I'm, um, I met him in Paris at the, at the reunion. Oh, at the reunion, yeah. I've gone twice yeah. to his museum and it's just like, there's people that still think it matters to preserve this. Maybe Las Vegas will want it back. And with this Dita Vontis thing, who knows if that makes people miss what they, well, it's no longer there. You to go and see that show and you must do a huge article on that. I will do, I think I'll see if I can video and do some interviews because I think we want it to do well because that's Pete Menifee and, uh, oh my gosh. I'm going to interview him too. Bob Mackey costumes. And so there are some people like, oh, those costumes will be on there, but like, but we want to see it done well. Cause if you see those costumes in something that's not beautiful, it would be heartbreaking. But you know, there is this hope that this, this might bring up those, those costumes have been sitting in storage this whole time and in the Lido like some one of the dressers sent me a video of down in the warehouse and there's there's Bonaire there's all these that go way back and they're just in storage and she said it's like these these costumes have a life they have a story like these need to be seen and not just in a basement or like they used to to burn them in the desert what is what has happened to, um, to, to 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 all the Lido costumes now they're in this a storage area I've heard, I thought something's got sold or kind of parsed out. I'm kind of hearing little bits and pieces. I'm not sure how much is mm-hmm. accurate, but everybody wants to know, are those going to live on somewhere? You know, even if it's a museum or an interactive museum, just because uh, Bob Rang, who designed a lot of those shows, he was a production yes, designer. Yes. He was saying if they were smart, like even before Jubilee, if they'd had it almost like a museum exhibit, you would go through that line and you would see the costumes and a little bit of the history. So by the time you see the show, you understand a little bit more about it. So people are curious about things that have history. And then you have a show that, that actually represents that, that maybe that could have been a way for both Toledo and Paris and Jubilee and Vegas to hang on to that and keep that interest because people are going to get tired of these, they call it bottle fee. You pay a bunch of money for a private party to drink a whole bunch. And that's why people go to Vegas now. It's just kind of a weird and now it's become it's the sports strange. center. Was, so strange is the, the kids running around the casinos, they're children. They look like they're 12 and 14 years old. Right. <laughs> you know, it just looks like it's weird. Vegas has just become such a weird place. And all my friends, my Vegas friends, they don't never go to the strip. They all live in the suburbs. Yeah. Their whole lives have changed completely. Yeah, they don't have that attachment to because some people say it's really sad to go to the strip. Like you're like, oh, the like the dunes used to be there. This all the I went to the boneyard that uh, of all the neon signs. And I mean, that's like that's I remember the skylight was just so pretty with all these marquees, or you'd see the marquee of the dancers. And the last time I went, it was a, a billion billboards for erectile dysfunction, lawyers like to sue somebody. <laughs> and it was like so there was no, even the billboards are just so crass instead of like, oh, I want to see that show. And that show, you see the marquees. Because when you were in Paris, the people were still dressing up to come to the shows, weren't they? Wasn't it like you you put an effort to go out to see a show? People, like, especially if you got celebrities, people wanted to be seen at the glamorous Lido dressed up. And now it is interesting. Like you said, Vegas, everybody's kind of in their shorts and their flip-flops holding the 
That's giant right. drink in their hand. Even in Paris that night, you know the night that we had the dinner? Yeah. The night that we saw the show in Paris, a part of the reunion, there were people coming in that, you know, and they were just like, they would never have been allowed in before. They just had like a shirt and a pair of jeans on. And that was, you know, the leader they used to dress up to come. Yeah. Especially. Jerry, I'm going. It's what is what's the time by you? Oh, yeah. It's well, I have one question to wrap us up. Yes, because you got to learn from from Miss Bluebell. Is there anything that she told you or like advice or what you watched of how she worked that you've taken with you because you're doing corporate work? Is there any Bluebell part in what you do now from getting to learn from the best of the best? My, my thing is, I always wonder why all, most of the people in my life that's been very um, influential in my life have been women. Like, Bluebell mm. was, you know, it's a woman in that, and she was such a strong personality. You know, she hid out, you know, you know the story of Bluebell in the war and all of yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. And she was a remarkable person and a remarkable friend to me. And that's how I'll always remember her. Oh. We used to have, we had a wonderful friendship. A wonder, we used to talk and she used to say, oh, there's lots of problems in your country. We talk about it. She was such, a, she knew exactly. She was a worldly woman, very worldly. And I had such respect for her. She really had a good heart, a very, very good heart. Oh. I can say nothing wrong about her she was, I love that and you mm, got to get to know her because some of us kind of just knew her as far yeah. away but I, I love that and also to be a woman in power at that time too was kind of unusual for her to be as successful as a businesswoman as she was when women were not really seen in that position I love that you got to learn from from her oh, so this was, was fabulous Thank you for Thank like just you sharing so your much. story. I'm so glad to meet you at last. You too. We're gonna have it when we have another reunion. It's gonna be so different because now I feel like I've met so many more people over Zoom see. that I want to see in person. Give a hug. Have a lovely day. Thank you and so I'm much. So You're gonna send me some fabulous photos. I'll send some photos tomorrow. Okay. Okay. All right. Thank you, my and friend. Bye.